my name's Chris Iwellimo. Welcome to Man Marking. We're asking, where's the talking lads? Welcome back to Man Marking Series 3, Episode 4. This is part 2 of Chris Iwellimo's episode. Chris, obviously it'd be, it'd be safe to say you're a, you're a big fella, obviously both in, in stature and in personality as well. Did you ever feel kind of a certain pressure to sort of maintain that that pe- you know that that persona in the dressing room? Uh, yeah, no, you know what? I I was a very probably loud character. I think it was one of those when I when I started uh, experiencing certain issues. There was some certain things going on, probably in the personal life, uh, divorce. Let's, let's let's say that 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 kind of puts football to kind of the the, the kind of on on the back burner, uh, and I felt that. The, the anxiety was starting to creep in, you know, and you, you, I wouldn't say like dark, dark thoughts, but I wasn't able to eat. I was managing to, I wasn't able to sleep. And I mean, like you're even trying to take like, uh, like sleeping tablets, obviously through the doctor uh, that, that just weren't helping, that weren't, that weren't working, that weren't, weren't doing the job. Uh, but I, I, I had to, I had to like, we, so at Watford, I was still based in the Midlands and we had a car school. So it was, it was uh, Troy Deeney, John Eustace, Carl Dickinson, and myself. Now I can say to you, none none of those three would have known what I was going through. So straight away, if I was driving, they'd probably be sleeping in the car anyway, or or you get in, and you're you're on your phone or doing whatever. But I had to kind of I had to kind of put a mask on every day. So uh, you go out, you train. When you're training, your mind gets gets lost in the thought of just training and, and doing your thing, but. You're in a car two and a half hours to get down to work every day, and then you know that you're in the car two and a half hours to get back home, and then you stay in a hotel probably on the Thursday and Friday, sometimes just the Friday. But going into work every day it was something that was it was exhausting for me. So I was getting home to my my place. Obviously, I just separated, so I just had my my place on my own. Uh, you get in, you, you you try and eat even though you're not hungry. You go to bed and straight away like your alarm goes off for the next day. And this could be you're going to bed at like 4.30 in, in the afternoon and then you're waking up at like 6.30, 7 o'clock the next morning and feel like you've not slept at all. So straight away, you know, you're in the car, down there. And I wouldn't say it was it was all an act, but a lot of it, a lot of it was because I was so loud that you, you'd walk in and straight away everyone knew that you were in the training building because you'd walk in you, and there was a thing, a philosophy that you'd shake everyone's hands. You go into the, the physio room, you say hello to all the physios, the players that are getting treated, and you'd go in, pop your head into the staff room, bump, and then go down and the kit man and such and such. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say there was a pressure, but it was something that you were allowed to you were allowed to have your your, your quiet days as well. You know, there was some big characters in, in that dressing room. But it was something that I, when it started to get too much for me, I remember I just went in the doc, uh, the club doctor was in. I says, "Oh, doc, can I just grab you?" I've told him what I was feeling, what I was going through, what I was experiencing, and with and it's never broke stride. Just put me on this. Uh, said it's between me, it's between me, uh, between me and him, and that's when I started taking the antidepressants. You know, and that was that was probably two thousand and twelve. Uh, and it was it was one of those things. I was doing my coaching badges as well, my A license. So he was he was kind of monitoring the dosage of these things, uh, obviously for drug testing. 
uh, he would then he would then have to kind of come in with me and, and obviously do all, fill all the forms to make sure that they knew what I was on, and it was it was serotonin, you know, and it was uh, it did the obviously the M, the MG of that did fluctuate over over that two and a half year period. It kind of slows down the metabolism, so straight away I started feeling that I was putting on a little bit of weight, not fat, because my body fats were always probably six percent anyway. But you just felt yourself sluggish and you'd lose like your leg muscles and things. So I just, uh, it was one of those things that was after I retired, I'd actually just said, you know what, I'm I'm, I'm going to come off these. And I think it was New Year's Eve 2014. I just says, I'm not taking these, uh, not taking these anymore. Uh, and just made sure that I would go to the gym and, and, and do my exercise. But for the character that I was, when I spoke, people knew that I was, I was, uh, they, they would listen, you know what I mean? It was one of those, I never just went in and, and spoke for the sake of speaking, you know, I think everyone, everyone's different, you know, I think when you're preparing for matches or training or going out for matches, you you, you, you all know it, you, you've played no matter what level it is, you've played that, you'll have the one that just shouts the same thing every, you know, come on then lads, let's, let's do this and do it, and because that's what they need to do to kind of get their energy and, and balance it out and try and calm themselves. Whereas there's the ones that just put the music on and listen, and, and, and I was quite quiet. I would go around and speak to people individually, and that's something that I, I I felt I even on the pitch, rather than having a go at someone, uh, you speak to someone with respect, but you 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 boost them up rather than than coming for them. But against you, if you know that someone needs a little uh, kick up the backside, then you know you know how to give it, and it's just about managing man management you know i think that's something that i i thought was one of my strong points but i never going to your question i never really put pressure on myself to to be that loud one in the dressing room yes speak and have a bit of crack and things but there's a moment where you keep yourself to yourself as well and you spoke there chris about um about feelings of anxiety and, and going to speak to the doctor when did that those feelings of anxiety start and, and what were they like uh, well, what were they like? You you got to remember as well as as a footballer, there's a pressure on you to there's a you're following a routine to make sure that your body is at its peak. You know that you're at you're able to perform at those levels uh, day in day out training. There's competition for places, so there's the disappointment of 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 not playing or being dropped or you know what I mean. As well as the personal side, what was going on, divorce, whatever you may be at. Uh, so it kind of took it took a backseat. So you're probably not mentally right because you're, you're you're focusing on other things. The anxiety. How did it feel? I would get pins and needles down my arms. I'd feel that it was there all the time. So like you, uh, you would you would have complete loss of concentration. So I I'd love sitting down watching a movie. You couldn't do that because you, you 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 your mind would wander off. You were sitting actually talking to someone and you're not listening to a word that they're saying. You're basically thinking, I just want to... So I'm, I'm sitting having a conversation with you now. You're talking to me. I'm looking at you, but I'm nothing. I'm hearing nothing. So I'm basically just trying to think, how can I get how can I get myself out of this this conversation and and, and just go and sit? Some, and that's, that's just not me. You know what I mean? So I just knew there was things that, that weren't right. The pressures of a divorce as well. Nothing prepares you for that uh, in life. You know, I think that's a fight that you have to you have to take on your own, no matter what team, what friends you've got uh, behind you. 
so it was something that, and the positive side of that is that it lasted for what just over a year and a half, and then uh, and then I retired about probably a month and a half after it was all finalised, and then I walked away from football. So it was one of those things because football had taken a back seat for a year and a half before anyway. I never really missed it. I kind of fallen out of love with the game because probably you're not mentally right anyway. But then you, when I started doing my my, my journalism degree, you fall back in love with the game, and it is it's. There's, there's, I still get goosebumps now sometimes when you go to a match and you're commentating, you're thinking, my God, just to be out there again. You know, you see the boys doing the finishing before a match. But no, it's. I wouldn't say I had dark thoughts about about suicide and things like this. Uh, but uh, yeah, anxiety, just in a, shutting yourself away from the world, thinking that that's the, the way to deal with it. And it's not, you know, I had good friends People that I went and worked with, I worked with my, one of my closest closest and, and properties every day. He had no clue until I spoke about it when I started doing like blogs and 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 and, and my own website things like that. Then I spoke about uh, what I went through uh, because it is it's it's so important and what you guys are doing is great. And I think a lot of people experience it and they probably don't even know that that's what it is. But because there's awareness now, then they actually think right, okay. There's, I can do this, there's steps to follow, I can go speak to my doctor, I can go speak to uh, a family friend, you know, a, a, a family, whatever it may be, and uh, and, 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 head, and make yourself uh, head in the right direction with it. Yeah, absolutely, Chris, I think you've, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there, really, and I've heard you talk before about your um, your anxiety and, and that side of your life, and you, I remember hearing you say that you felt sort of maybe even ashamed or embarrassed to talk about it at the time. Yeah. Did, did you find it difficult maybe to open up to people within the game, within football? Well, I never, I never, I never, I never told anyone uh, in in football. Uh, it was one of the, only the club doctor at Watford. Uh, again, someone that I still speak to today. Uh, the way that he helped me, uh, and then it's I think once I once I opened up and spoke about it after I, ret I retired, I have to say. Uh, then you, you're getting contacts from all the, the the news outlets wanting to do do their interviews uh, and things like that. But you know, I think there's some some big characters out there that have been in some really dark places and and and, and speaking about it. And it's just all about awareness. It's all about putting it out there, letting you know that it's okay not to feel okay all the time. You know, it's uh, and I think that's the the positive thing. I think. You look at social media now and everyone portrays the perfect lifestyle and the perfect this and perfect that, but they're not going to be putting pictures up of doom and gloom and arguments and you know it's so it's 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 to understand that the world that, that, that people portray sometimes isn't the the, the real world that, that 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 we that we that we're that we're very much alive in. So uh it's it's it's, it's I, I, there is a balance to it all. It's about speaking about it not keeping it into yourself uh, and also just being kind. It's something that I've always tried to be, you know, I think I'll, I'll speak to anyone if, if they come up and speak to you. I've never thought myself above that. Uh, I don't like seeing it when, when, when I do, uh, but it's, 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 there's what, what we are, we're all in it together, you know, and it's something that I've since even now, even speaking about it, I, I wouldn't say it's something that I touch on. I think it's, I think when people ask about it, I can say you have experienced it and you can try and I'll be there for people, but it's not something that I would uh, open up uh, myself about, but that's something that 
that probably little issues that I've got to deal with. I'm a, I'm very much a, a a closed book when it comes to the emotional side of things. You know, it's uh, but then with everything else, it's quite hard to put 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 them together. Uh, but uh, it's just the way that I am. You said there you didn't speak to anybody in in, in football at all about it, other than the, the the club doctor at Watford. Was there a reason for that, Chris? Well, you've got to think about it. You know, I think you. Uh, if I'm if I'm if I'm competing for the for my spot with the other strikers, you don't want to give the manager any ammunition to to drop you. You want to play. If you don't want to play in the first eleven, then you shouldn't be a professional footballer. So again, it was one of those things that uh, you would have your moments. You'd have good days and bad days. On your bad days, you just had to grind through it. Uh, but I have to say today, the awareness of it. There's more and more. The managers, they, they they do they do know there's 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 now people employed by football clubs that they go around they speak to the players to make sure that they are in a good place and if they are in a bad place then to, that they've got the support network there. Uh, but the the managers understand that that that, that football uh, is an answer and they've got to judge them basically on that football alone. But you've got to remember if I'm. Uh, if I'm if I'm competing with a striker and there's not much in it, then all of a sudden my the club doctor comes and says, "Oh, the big man's on antidepressants." Straight away, that 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 kind of that swings the balance probably out out of favour for you. So I, I think we're only starting to kind of get to where we're still got a long way to go, but we're starting to get that people are talking about it, even if they're going to their own people. You know, I spoke with Michael Bennett at the PFA, and they they, 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 they gave, uh, I spoke to Michael Bennett on, a, on, 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 on numerous occasions as as my therapist, but then they've put me in touch with someone else that's more local to me that, that I can speak to whenever I feel that I need to, you know, but it's about surrounding yourself with with a good network, uh, a good a good circle that that, that that knows that that you have you're not going to be on 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 high all the time because it's that's it's physically impossible. So yeah, I think if if I played now and I was going through what I was going through now, then yeah, there's a lot more uh, awareness about it. You can speak to people about it. You can speak to the players about it. Uh, it's not it's not judged upon. It is, it is a bit still because you can still feel that players do talk about it. But if you look at all the players talking about it, you know, I think uh, you look at Aaron Lennon has a bit of time away. Lee Griffiths up at Celtic has a bit of time away. You don't really get the they'll, they'll talk about it when their, their, their career's over. But you know that they're going through bad times. But you've got to respect that as well because you don't know how they're reacting to it. It's great to see them back playing football. But again, it's it's the they're getting the help that, that they need from from whatever network. So, so it's again, you you look at Celtic playing Rangers. Lee Griffiths will, will get stick about it from the Rangers fans. It's part and parcel, uh, and this is something again that you you don't put it out there into the public domain if you can if you can help it. But we shouldn't be embarrassed about it being out there in the public domain. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that's come up a lot of lot of times during these interviews is almost fans and, and, and potentially even media as well, remembering the footballers are humans as well and have feelings and emotions the same as everybody. And and perhaps if we can 
you know, hold on to that a little bit more and and treat footballers like people. It might be a little bit more of a, a relaxed environment that allows people to open up and talk about those type of things. One thing that you've spoken quite a lot about in, in the past and been asked about it quite a few times is the um, the, the the big chance for, for Scotland on your, yeah. your full debut. Uh, and we don't really want to labour the point so much because it's something that you've, you've talked about a lot. One of the things we kind of wanted to touch on with that was, I have heard you describe how... After that incident, it was quite difficult for you. That obviously you got a lot of criticism and stuff on the back of it. What was that like for you following that following that chance? Uh, when you think about it, you know I'm I'm Scottish. I'm proud to be Scottish, and then all of a sudden you're you're a centimeter away from being a national hero. You know, I think the good thing about that was up in Scotland, I got absolutely probably abused for the next probably two three weeks. So it was probably a great thing that I played down in England. I remember I woke up the following morning and I bought all the newspapers at services and pulled up as I was on the way back down the road. Uh, and I read all the papers and all oh, the pictures that were in it. And oh, it was it was it was hard to read. But then I just I put them all the papers, put them in the bin at the services because I was just in my car. And then I just I, I I drove the rest of the road down. But you know, it was, I just wanted to be back in the dressing room. It was like the lowest and highest point of my footballing career all, all at once. Uh, but like you say, the, the group that I had at, 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 at Wolves, I just wanted to get back with the boys. And yeah, they had a little bit of stick, but you knew that it was all in in, in good in good banter. Uh, and you know what? I, I think I scored seven, I think nine goals in my next six games or something for Wolves. You know what I mean? So it never really stopped that form for Wolves and obviously we went on to... To, to go up as champions but talking about that moment it, it was difficult you know uh, the game after that I started against Argentina Diego Maradona's first game in charge at Argentina and to represent my country and start with the number nine uh, at Hamden uh, was a fantastic honour uh, so it was just one of them you know I think the way that I talk about it now is that I, I had the privilege to, to pull on the, the, the jersey of my country you know I remember the, the national anthem playing and that was probably one of the, the most emotional moments in my football career where I actually felt that you could you could feel yourself welling up with it, singing the national anthem, the goosebumps going up. Uh, and then when you're looking across and you're seeing the the, the the blue and white of Argentina, you know, it's it's a fantastic first start for your country, isn't it? So it's... Uh, no, it was... It, you learn from it, you know. I remember I was on goals on Sunday uh very very uh very shortly after it and they'll say like you got to use that for what comes after football because everyone will remember you you know yeah. i think I st i'm still included in the christmas specials of uh, uh all the scottish comedy sketches that come out at new years and all that in christmas time though i'll always pop up some of them are hilarious with the they do the the, the, the the voiceovers and things it's absolutely hilarious so you just got to be able to laugh at it you know that it's one of the things, you know. I've got, uh, I've got my, my son's uh, nineteen weeks tomorrow, and it's going to be weird when he's he's old enough, and you have to tell him about it. Say, look at this. My argument <laughs> is, my argument is, I was, I was offside. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't yeah. have counted anyway. <laughs> exactly. If, if VAR, if VAR was included, if VAR was there, then uh, I'd have been offside, mate. So it's just one of them. <laughs> but it didn't stop me from getting the stick that I got, and uh, yeah, probably a little bit. I was a little bit harsh, but. Like you say, it was it was something that my character it never it never stopped me from achieving what I wanted to achieve at Wolves. 
Fantastic. I think you you're spot on there, Chris. I think, as you say, you don't if you can own the joke almost and you can laugh at it yourself, yeah. it yeah. takes away any any ability for people to be able to harm you with it because you go, Well, you know, you know, yeah, it was a bad miss, but you know, there you go, life happens and, and you move on with it, really. Exactly. Um, you spoke there about, about Michael Bennett and the yeah. uh, the PFA. He's obviously head of head of well being for the PFA That's right. former player. What does what does his role entail kind of on a day to day basis? Well, basically, they've they've just got to keep evolving, haven't they? You know, they've got to make sure that the the, the players are their responsibility, uh, and make sure that the, the players are looked after. Now, uh, Michael Bennett has been jumping through a lot of hoops, uh, and you know what? I, there's there's I've there's I speak very highly of the PFA, but I've got close friends that 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 sing from the complete opposite side of the spectrum, you know. So, uh, and that's something that I, I believe probably PFA need to get better. Uh, it needs to be completely all round uh, on 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 how they help, who they help, uh, and how they move forward. And I've 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 they've helped me educational wise, the benevolent fund, uh, and and a lot a lot of different ways, you know. So and and, and obviously in the and uh, and seeking help with, with, with obviously the the mental health issues as well. So. Uh, yeah, I think it's a hard one for the PFA, but they are. I think that they're, 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 they're obviously employing more people. They're using outside agencies as well, uh, and there's, there's still there's so many agencies out there that that are, that are trying to fight the same battle that need to be all kind of governed by the same thing. But it's like you say, the PFA are there to represent the players, uh, and it's and it's a, and it's a hard job, as they say. But more and more players are, are talking to them, uh, which again is down to the likes of yourselves and, and and just anyone putting that 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 code and message out there of awareness to it so it is a difficult job for them so to go into depth what they actually do i think uh, i remember it was the discussion that i had with michael bennett uh, was trying to implement that that when players are suffering from things like this then they, they they get taken away from football and that was an argument that i didn't quite agree with but the pfa that that you you got to throw everything in and discuss all angle, angles and, and avenues, uh, and they are going to make mistakes along the way, but they'll learn from them uh, and learn quickly as well. Do you think? Um, I would I would imagine that as you said, that the uptake in people using the services that the PFA offer, particularly to do with well-being and mental health, seems to be uh, improving and, and a lot more accessing it. Which I think I've seen it reported two ways. Really, yeah. one way that people report it is. Oh, look, there's a lot more footballers who are, who are having these issues. But then the other way, which is kind of the way I agree with, is, well, those people will statistically will have existed anyway. It, it would make sense for there to be more footballers going through those things. And the fact that there are more of them taking up those services would mean, A, that the more services are available and better services are available, and B, that the society around football is changing, allowing them to feel comfortable to do it, which is a positive thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I to yeah, I totally agree. I think both. I think both. I think obviously the society. I think uh, it's more aware of it. You know, I think being able for the players to be able to talk about it, uh, and the services are, are improving daily. You know, I think, uh, uh, and, and and long may that continue. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose from your point of view, I would imagine the the way the support that you can get from the PFA now compared to when you were a player is is hugely different. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think the support, yeah, well, the support was always there, but I guess 
it was it was it was it was never really the, the PFA never shouted it out. It was all cloak and dagger stuff, which I think they had to make. The, the option was always there, but for the players to actually go and use that that that, that facility, then 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 it was down to the, the so I never knew I never knew that the, the, the facility was there with the PFA until I experienced what I experienced. Then I contact the PFA because you, you you speak to someone there. I've got a lot of uh, a lot of good friends that are that are in good positions at the PFA that they actually told me what what was available. But now that is common knowledge because they have to put it out there that what they're doing. But you've got to remember, as the footballer, the footballer never wanted the PFA saying, "Yeah, this player's coming to us and talking to us about this," because it wasn't something that that was spoke about. Mm. So uh, now that there's more awareness. Society allows it to be acceptable because it's it is part of part of everyday life. Uh, the PFA are now they can they can publicly say, "Yep, yeah, we're helping this player, that player." But that's been going on for a long time, and obviously now that the society has allowed it, then more players are using it. So the PFA have to improve the service as well. You know that's why Michael Bennett was doing a lot of these things on his own. Bringing in a few, but they now there's they're, they're, he has a team uh, below him, and they've also got outside agencies that they, that they use as well. Yeah, he's he's. I've read quite a bit about about Michael Bennett, and he's, he's someone that we we'd be really interested in speaking to. And I think he's he's very impressive in in the way that he's kind of got you know kind of picked it up and ran with it. And as you say, a lot of those services will have often been available, but I think in uh, with mental health and, and well-being and stuff, it's about making people aware that, that it's not incumbent on them to have to go and access it. That those things are so easily available that you can yeah. that you can find them. So yeah. One of the things you you mentioned just just earlier, Chris, about when you go into uh, broadcasting and commentating at matches and stuff, and you you're looking down at the players doing their the, the finishing. Which, to be honest with you, as a fan, we get in sort of 15, 20 minutes before kickoff and they're doing the finishing. That does look like the best bit of being a footballer. Just absolutely. <laughs> Whacking the ball at the goal over and over again. <laughs> I think that looks yeah. quality. <laughs> we had, well, uh, yeah. Ryan and I used to um used to used to run a team between us, and uh, we used to always have this thing where you know if you'd 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 see a decent team turn up and you think they're quite good, then they'd always be organised doing little rondos and running around. And then all of being the goal boot and the ball as hard as each other. And then, then you go to an actual match and you can see players are just doing the same. You think, deep down, we all just want to whack the ball as hard as we can at the goal. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things that, that, that that's kind of come up a couple of times for, for footballers who've, who've retired and, and that sort of thing would be, do you do you miss being a footballer, Chris? Is that something that, that, you, that you do, that you miss? That, you know, yeah, the, of course. You miss, you miss being a footballer. You miss the routine. You know, you miss the... The, the the group of lads, you know what I mean, because there's you go through thick and thin for, for you know what I mean. You go through a lot we we each other. Uh, so no, yeah, I, I definitely miss it, but I also have accepted that that's that's a past chapter now. That's a closed chapter. I'm very lucky to 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 get obviously to work in the the media and, and speak about it. Uh, I'm very fortunate as well. You know, I think it's given me the chance to to kind of rebuild. Uh, you know the, the 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 property portfolio as well. So I've I, I has it's been it's been very good to me. You know, so uh, I miss it. You know, I think there's there's I don't let you. It is a job what I do now when I go and work at Stoke and I'll go down to Wolves or 
and I'm, I'm watching games all over the country. Uh, but there is there is moments where you just think, you know, like you'll you'll see some old players that you played with, and they're, they're coming out for the match, and you just yeah, it was just it was it was something that it never really hit me until I retired. It was one of those things that what I've actually achieved through my career. You know, it was it, you don't really think about it and and enjoy it. You just kind of it's a it's it's training. It's a game. You've got to score goals. That pressure. You've got to win. You've got to put the points on. The season's done. You have two three weeks off. Then you start your 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 uh, your, uh, your your close season program, and then pre season again. Right. Make sure get through it. Fit. Season starts, okay, it's going to take three, four games to get up to speed, but with a little bit of luck, you'll grab a couple of goals, win games, see where you are in the league, right? Then, And that's what it is. It's just, it's constant routine. People, you're in, that, you're in that football bubble that you don't really have to think about anything else. On your days off, you come home, you relax, you put on a couple of uh, DVDs, take the kids out, relax. Thursday, back in the car, training. And it is, it's just game after game after game, making sure you're you're eating the right thing, looking after yourself, are you in the best shape? What what negatives can you work on? Bum, 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 bum. Then all of a sudden, nothing. Wake mm -hmm. up, wake up in bed. What I don't need to do anything today. I can just go back over to bed or and that's where I made sure I was up 7 30, 8 o'clock in the morning, in the gym. Uh was in the gym for two, three hours, come out. Have my lunch and then you can focus on the rest of the day. If it's going back to university like I did and doing my my uni work, then so be it. Then then relaxing. I was I was working Monday to Friday in properties, learning how to chase out plastering. Uh, you know, with the, with the workman's gear on, making tea for the for my mate, and we had the trades coming in that we that that are friends of his. You know, we done that for two and a half three years. You know, so. It was one of those things, and then on a Saturday, Sunday, I would go and uh, do my do my, my my media work, my commentating. So that's that's you just got to make sure that I've got a lot of friends that 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 when they finish their career, they never really had a plan of what's coming next. You know, I've got ones ones a taxi driver, another's a PT. The I, there's one of my one of my close friends that. He was in a hostel at the end of his career because all his all his money had gone in his, his house repossessed because he hadn't really thought about what was coming next and he got injured. So he hadn't prepared about what comes after. There's a lot more there's a lot more awareness about things like that now that all these players play now are educating themselves, getting themselves ready for the next chapter, what they're gonna do, you know. So as we are we are moving forward, uh, but we're definitely not not at the final destination yet, and it'll just keep evolving and keep improving. So for me, yes, I miss football, but I'm in the next chapter now. So it's nice to look back and watch little videos of you playing and scoring goals and and winning games and getting promoted. Uh, but that is that is uh, that is uh, I'm on. That's in the uh, a past. That's in the past now. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. And my final question would be then, looking back on your career, and if you could kind of have a conversation with with your younger self, maybe, you know, when you were having some difficulties towards the end of your career, what, if you could tell yourself one thing, what would it be? Uh, tough times don't last. Hard times don't last. So the same as, the same as good times, uh, they won't last. So you just got to enjoy them and make sure that you enjoy them. You know, this is something that I struggled with. I was very, 
I was that I was that flat line. You know, I wasn't there wasn't any dips, there wasn't any highs. I never really that's when I was with antidepressants it numbed me out. So I didn't never really enjoyed the good times and you know what I mean. So this is something that tough times don't last. You know what I mean. So just you'll you know that there's there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, no matter how low you feel that you are, there's always uh, yeah they don't last. You will you will get through it, but you just have to try and change your mindset. Read you know try and flip that 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 negative mindset to positivity and. What you what you what you can uh, visualize, you, you materialize, you manifest that uh, that positivity will come your way. So we're back. You're listening to the Man Marking Podcast. We've just been through Chris's brilliant episode there. A lot to get through, um, but I'm going to start with a question to Danny. And I just wanted to start with how Chris talked about in his darkest moments, he, he often kept them to himself, Dan, and it was mainly because he felt it put him at a disadvantage to his counterparts. Um, a quote that stuck with me was, um, people's reactions would be the big man's on antidepressant. And I suppose that may also tie in with the fact he was known as quite a, a big, physically tough guy. And that really shouldn't matter how big and tough you are when it comes to to mental illness or, or suffering at all. Seems to be quite worrying we're living in a time whereby the message is it's good to talk, we need to talk more. And often these messages are actually supported through football campaigns, but it needs to be practised better than it's preached by the sounds of things and not just be something that's done because of social responsibility. So with this in mind, Dan, what, what were your thoughts around that? And how do you think we can tackle players feeling comfortable enough to come and speak out? Oh, it's a difficult one, really. I was thinking about this last night. I think one of the things that, that's, that's interesting, and whilst I agree that getting everybody talking and, and, and getting people like Chris talking about mental health and antidepressants and anxiety and those type of things is really good, I do think one of the big things that we also need to do is educate people at the same time. So for a lot of people, and I would probably include most people who've had some dealings with mental ill health the understanding of it is really complex so with like a physical affliction so if you break your leg much like i did on the football post last week didn't get any reaction there no sympathy. i wasn't i didn't want to cut the cross you because i was going to scream he didn't but <laughs> um, but yeah much like with a, with a physical affliction so if you break your leg you do an x-ray, you can see the bone is broken and they reset it, give you an operation, put it in a cast, do whatever they need. But it, it, there's, there's a very tangible thing that, that's wrong with, with you when you have a physical affliction and it's quite easy to see and understand even for a lay person. Whereas I think with mental affliction, I think the problem is is that it's, it, it's, it's all theory in a way, if you see what I mean. Even the symptoms are such that they're not tangible in a lot of ways, it's quite hard to understand. So what I think the most important thing that we need to do is, alongside getting people talking, is understanding mental health a little bit better and understanding A, what it looks like, B, what it feels like, and C, what people can do to react to it that's the best for people around them. And the, a lot of things are very simple, like listening and like trying to understand, but putting that education in place, particularly in an environment like football where it's very macho and the margins are very fine. 
is really important for people who are comfortable to come out and talk because like as Chris said there, he went on and got his his antidepressants. He was on his his SSRIs, which we mentioned at the at the start of the show on his his, his serotonin inhibitors. I suspect he may have been on sertraline, which is the the antidepressant that I take at the moment. And one thing that I thought was quite interesting that he mentioned was the started to affect like him putting weight on and that sort of thing, but his body fat remained at six percent, which is not a scenario that I've found. But the fact that he was put on those antidepressants, but he felt as though he couldn't tell anybody at the club other than the doctor, I just think it's really sad. Like, if he was put on some antibiotics because he had an ear infection, then he, he, he you'd have no problem telling that everyone would go, oh, yeah, I'll hope it clears up anyway, mate. But if someone yeah. goes to, yeah, I'm on antidepressants, instantly there's like a bit of a recoiling, like it's a... Like there's, it's a it's an uncomfortable topic to talk about because there's no understanding of it, which is entirely understandable in a lot of ways because because it's such a subject that's often hidden and we don't want to talk about it because it's difficult. Then people don't. So, I think the first protocol would be to educate people both in terms of what it's like when you're going through it, but also what it looks like for other people, and to just say, just ask, just say, what is it like when you're on them. Yeah, you know and, what I mean. Like, I think people are often a bit like you say to them on antidepressants, and they don't want to mention it. Or like, I mean, I, I, for example, when I went up to the hospital the other day to get me get my legs stitched up, and they, they say to you, um, you know, you're on any other medication. So I say I'm on I'm on sertraline and I'm on propanolol as well. And when they ask what's that for, and I say it's for anxiety. Even though I'm comfortable with that, and you know we sit on here and talk about it, even I felt a bit of a recoiling, and that was to a nurse, and that's not her fault or or anybody else's fault individually. It's just a systemic systemic thing that we all feel a little bit uncomfortable saying those words and saying those things. And I think if we educate each other and educate everybody and get a little bit of a better understanding, then that uncomfortableness will go away. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right on the money, Dan. I think it is all around the, the education, and as well, it's also shifting of mentality. And just want to ask you around that sort of similar question to to Danny and. But on top of that, the fact that it's so pressured as well. Um, if you take your job for example, you work hard every day. But if you ever feeling low, you'd probably feel a lot more comfortable telling your manager because there isn't somebody who does your job waiting in the wings to do it better than you as soon as you walk out the door in the same way that maybe a footballer, especially a striker at a championship club would feel. So can you sort of understand why a player wouldn't feel comfortable bringing that up to his manager? Absolutely. Um, I, I don't think it's due to the sign of weakness, but if you're looking at it from a manager's point of view, it more... This will sound terrible, but I imagine from from a manager's point of view, it's more the trust. He needs to trust his players. He needs to trust that everything's going right, everything's going well. In that eleven that go out onto the pitch on a Saturday, and even the the, the lads on the bench. If a player who uh, like Chris is is getting the wages and the the notoriety and 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 the the accolades that he got, and you know, he's such an important player in that size. You know, he's a big target man, striker, good with his feet, good in the air. He's quite integral to a game plan. So when you when you if he goes to his his, his manager and says, "Look, I'm not quite feeling this. I'm on I'm on antidepressants. 
I can understand from that point of view because I can understand the pressure that the manager's on. You know, you look at it now, these days, managers don't really last too long. Um, so it's all about, it's like a game of inches. Again, you've got to get the best out of those players. Do I think that the that should be the case now? He should be able to go there but and, and say, look, I, I'm, not, I'm struggling. And I think he, he mentioned the likes of Lee Griffiths who, who've come out and, and said, you know, I need time away from the game. And there's been others who've had time away from the game as well. Um, and then come back. I think the most famous one, well, say famous, is, is probably uh, Billy Kay for, for Accrington Stanley, who is well-known to have gone through a, a, a lot of problems and a lot of issues, but they stuck by him, that, that club, and, and played him and played him week in, week out. And you could see on the pitch that he loved playing the game of football. I wonder whether it is just a a little bit of an uncertainty from, from the managerial side to playing side. Um, but I think that might come from the fact that I don't know whether managers trust players to begin with, you know, um, set managers anyway. Uh, there might be ones that, that break that mould. In the terms of the competitiveness, it's like no other, isn't it? You know, there's you've got to be at it 100% all the time. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to get the chances. And when you don't get the chances, you don't get the chance to, to flaunt yourself in a market, um, pretty much. And... That must be even harder when you, you, you're trying to come home from, from training and playing games and you're trying to switch off and you've got everything piling on top of you. I can understand why why um, why he, he went through what he went through. And there needs to be, a for me, there should be some help around that. So I think he touched on the PFA and he said he got a lot of help from there. But he also mentioned that a lot of these people come come out after they retire and, and, and say that they've they've been through all this because it's it's just not that I don't think it's accepted but I, I don't think the, the players are quite sure on how it's going to be received from managers and, and, and chairmen and, and owners and, and the people who are paying their wages so it, it's it's really difficult <laughs> um Thankfully, in, 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 it's not like regular work as a football at all. It's just, it's just ultra competitive and it only lasts a few years, 20 years maybe. It's not, it's not a lot. No, I think that's a very good point. Anton, I don't think it's about putting the blame on one person's particular door. While that could be the case in individual scenarios, I think it's a whole host of variables. Um, so if you take like a manager who's got a club that's losing money, a manager fighting for his job, a player that's suffering with the mental health, I think you end up in this situation where people can only see it from their own point of view and are, are essentially out to help themselves, which creates a really dangerous environment, really, which probably doesn't lend itself to a nice culture around people's mental well-being. Just on what Ant touched on there, Dan, was there anything you you thought about that when, when Chris was talking? Um, yeah, I think that, that point that you made at the at the end there, Ant, about how long footballers' careers are. I read an article the other day that was talking about it, and I think there's this perception that footballers' careers aren't very long, but I think in, in, in reality, they're actually incredibly long to be in one profession for in you know comparative to to modern day society so if you think about it how many people nowadays are in one job for 20 25 years in the same profession which i think statistically i think the the average length of time people spend in one place now it's like less than three years so i think the kind of perception of that is is that whilst it's a career that can end 
earlier than maybe other professions. It is something that you're going to be involved in, an environment that you're going to be in for a long time. So what I think the most important thing in relation to the, the PFA stuff that you were talking about is that if those services and stuff are there for the to you know to be to be used and, and provided by the PFA, what I think that is the most important thing is that the access is better. So there's one thing having the services, but what we know from mental health and what we know from anything with health is it's not just about the services existing, it's about how easy they are for people to access. And I think what seems to come across is is that if you want something from the PFA, if you want something with regards to mental health, then you have to be the one who goes and finds it. You know, like people say, well, once I asked, then I knew the services were there. And in my opinion, personally, and this is not just an accusation at football, but it's got a lot to do with other type of workplaces. And it's probably a mentality thing to do with all workplaces is that you have to let people know that it's dead easy for them to, to ask for help if they need it, because it's really hard to take that first step to take, you know, we've said it with, with relation to things like getting a GP appointment and stuff and getting a, a, you know, a therapist, you know, you go to your GP, that was difficult enough to do. You, you get the, the referral and you follow up on it. That was quite hard to do. You get yourself eventually an appointment with a, you know, with a therapist or with, with a counselor or somebody that was difficult to do. And then for it not to work out and that to knock you back can be really hard. So, I think given the resources that are available within football, it should be fairly straightforward to be able to provide adequate enough services. The next point is to be able to provide significantly easy enough access for people so that they don't have to think about it. They can just quickly access it. That it's you know They want it and it's there for them. Because I think that's, that's the only way that you're going to start to turn the tide on people actually engaging with it more proactively. Yeah, so the, the access to services point, it just reminded me, I'd, I'd seen in the news this week, and we'd spoken with the opening up cricket guys as well, how they've got more access. So everyone, every ambassador is giving their phone number out to, to players and you can contact them anytime during the day. So it's like 24-7 service. Um, but also, um, just moving on from the the tragic news that we heard last week in, in the horse racing industry uh, with regards to Liam Treadwell, um, I think there, there's been a, a, a movement to... Uh, make uh, access to to mental health services available to to those who would come out of the the game as well. Um, so that's a really positive step forward. So basically, you're leaving it open for anyone who's been in that in that industry as a jockey or anyone who's worth in it. So I think that's a that's a really good step. And um, like I say, hopefully, hopefully football can can get better and better. There's money there. There's I'm not saying money's the only answer, but the ability is there as well. You know the ability is there. We've seen it. It, it. You can do it. It just needs one kind of vision going forward. Yeah, you, you're both spot on, and that you've you've actually. I think Danny raised the point about the PFA, and obviously as the governing body for football in this country, the emphasis is on them really to protect the players. And Chris talked about the PFA. Right, right. Sorry. Yeah. PFA aren't the governing body. They're the players' union. Oh yeah. Sorry, I did that again. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right, Anthony. I think Dan mentioned before about the PFA. Um, they're there to sort of support the players. And Chris talked about that. He seemed to have a quite a good relationship with Michael Bennett, but he, he he very rightly mentioned that his experiences are completely different to some of his experiences of his uh, counterparts of, of face. So 
it can be different because you're not necessarily going to please everybody, but they do need to provide a service that allows everybody to feel comfortable moving forward. And when they do come forward, it allows them to have the resource available to them to act on it as well, um, which I think has been the issue. You did talk about more players coming forward has led to a little bit more money being spent and a reliance as well on outside resource. But from the outside looking in, Dan, what do you think the PFA should maybe focus their attention on and what, what could they be doing better? Uh, it's difficult. Michael Bennett's someone we'd quite like to speak to because we'd obviously be able to get that information. From the outside looking in, I think it's about priorities as much as anything else. I think it's also about looking at the the, the, the footballer as a whole, as a person, you know, looking at it holistically. And, and again, it... This is this is not just confined to football. I think it's confined to society in general. Is that if we look at it and you look at a football and you think, okay, well, if we look at it holistically, we can get all of these things right. But if we're not concentrating on the mental health, then it's not it's one piece of the whole that's missing. And if you get that person, if you improve that person's mental health, if you improve that person's well being and happiness, then it kind of will improve all the other aspects, such as things like finance and stuff like that, which is linked to it. So I think it's priorities and I think it's probably about taking a step back, looking at the bigger picture and being like, okay, well, where are we putting the emphasis? Where are we putting the money and what's the focus? Because I would imagine that Michael Bennett, from what we've read and what we've heard, he's doing some amazing work, as are probably a lot of the other people that work within his department. He's the, the head of wellbeing. But I, I, I would imagine there are lots of people doing great work. But if it's not focused and it's not being pushed forward in unison with lots of other people that are part of that same organization then you're going to have difficulty i think that the 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 pfa is is crucial in this in this kind of way that we sort of think differently about mental health and football but i think the biggest thing that needs to change is probably focus and priorities yeah completely agree mate and uh, Ant, any thoughts on that um just the, the one thought i had was it's a very difficult, um, difficult process for for, for the PFA if, if the, to put that in place. Like you said, you, you you're not going to have everyone in the same box, and this is going to work for them. This is going to work for you. So it's going to take some time. It's going to take some a lot of effort and a lot of work. And there's going to have to be a, a quite multifaceted department um, to deal with with what players go through and and, and people within the game go through. So um, just when when Chris was talking about you know it worked for me, but I know players haven't been supported and, we, and we've heard stories um about the pfa and how they haven't quite supported players and ex-players um so it, it's going to take a, a little while um hopefully if if, if you know the, the new change in the head of that helps I, I don't know but you could you could hopefully get to a place where they, they start getting the range of services out that are better instead of having like kind of narrow ones, which is kind of seems what they've got at the moment. I think it's consistency, isn't it? I think what, what we seem to have found, and it, and it applies to mental health services up and down the country, there seems to be a bit of an inconsistency. I mean, just from personal experience, um, I know of a few people that have been in mental health services following suicide attempts. And one of them said, that their care was excellent and it really helped them or less of it. And I know someone else who basically got absolutely no care whatsoever. And we had a kind of similar split of that with 
Aaron Connolly was really positive about the care that he got following his suicide attempt. Um, David Cox, whose episodes will come up in the next few months or so, he wasn't so positive about it. And I suspect that a lot of it is because there isn't a consistent message across the board. And I think that's what needs that's what needs changing. I think it needs getting everybody on the same page so that whatever the issue that people have is and whatever services they need, there's a consistent level of approach to it so that people aren't being left by the wayside. Because a lot of these things, as we know from our own experience, is it often comes down to who's the individual that you're dealing with. And if you just happen to have a really good person that's dealing with you, then you'll probably get a really good service. If you have someone who's not so good, then you might not. So it's about getting that consistency of message across the board. Yeah, I think you're really right, Dan. But I think to caveat that and almost play devil's advocate is people's experiences will naturally always differ. And as well, sometimes it's the, almost the patient's attitude towards it as well. And that's not putting any criticism at their door, especially not to do with mental health. But I've, I've speak to people sometimes who work in hospitals and they may have walk after somebody and they're, they're lovely and they're, they're cooperative and they might bring in a card and flowers after the sale, after what's, what's been done. And then you get other people who are kind of like, well, I want this, I want that. I think the, the care's awful. And I think a lot of things have got to come together for somebody to have a nice experience when they're going through a darkest moment of their time, which is really difficult, really, because the individual is suffering which isn't their fault, but they're going to naturally probably be rather negative to to themselves and the, the things around them. Equally, you want somebody who, who initially responds to them that is A, qualified, and B, receptive to it and is going to give them the time of day. And then three, they need to be in an environment where they can get help. And as you say, it needs to be consistent, but getting it consistent across all those sort of different facets are really difficult. And... It's hard because it's not really one individual's or one institution's fault. It's just really hard to line those things up. In terms of football, Chris, we obviously talked about that miss for Scotland, which we didn't really want to talk about too much. We made a conscious decision to not really go over the incident because we didn't feel it was necessary when he'd had such a good career. But we thought it would be sensible to talk about the fallout of that miss because from a mental health point of view... I mean, that must have been really horrific for him. He touched on playing in England, probably helped, because it was obviously rumbling on for weeks after in Scotland. And he said he just wanted to get back to Wolves and his teammates and play. Now, I just wanted to ask you both, and, I, and I'll start with Ant, around the fans element of this, because fans don't forget easily. And he, taught, he touched on Lee Griffiths up in Scotland after he took his break and almost that being ammunition towards him. And when you think about that, where, where else in society would you, somebody openly come out and say, I'm suffering with my mental health. And for somebody to then openly mock them in their place of work, it's quite a peculiar and disappointing situation to find ourselves in. But at the same time, football fans, when they're in that, for that 90 minutes, when the ball's being kicked, they're just there to give their own team an advantage and they'll say things and they'll do things. And I'm ashamed to admit I've, I've not so much for mental health. I've shouted things at players many times. I've been to hundreds of football games. I've shouted things I wouldn't necessarily shout at if it wasn't in the heat of the moment. And I don't think that'll ever fully go away. I think it'll be policed more. I think people will be more respectful. I think culture is changing in that regard. But for a player, and. How difficult is that if you're at your lowest and all of a sudden you've got everybody on top of you 
Football is meant to be sort of the place where you can forget about things, reminding you of the things you don't want to be reminded of. Yeah, it's not. I can't imagine it's it's very easy. Um, that miss was it was a big miss because Scotland were were going for qualification at the time, and it was it was just more shocking than than anything else. And I think that's what people react to the fact that it was kind of a shock moment in football. Um, but these are the moments in football that make football what it is. Uh, I'm not saying it's right that he, he should receive the abuse, but the way I viewed that when I was listening to him talking about it um, was that he, he, you know, he said that obviously he was, he was down playing at Wolves at the time, and and I think he got promoted that season, so he got promoted to Premier League, so he didn't have a bad season. He just had a bad, bad shot. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't like a a, a horrendous couple of mistakes, and I think he said he went on a good goal scoring run after that. And I think what would help, and I think a lot of people have said this quite a bit, and it comes in with like goalkeepers, is just get back out there and play again. I want to play another game. And I think he would have gone and played another game pretty much straight away. Uh, coach would have stuck him in the side, said, look, you're my guy. And I think he, he mentioned that, you know, the lads uh, are training, give him a little bit of stick. But I think he kind of realised, well, it, there's funny elements to it, you know. You could tell that he, he he'd seen the humorous side to it. He mentioned that it was on comedy shows in Scotland, and I think you take the seriousness out of it, and it becomes a lot more manageable. It becomes a lot more comfortable to deal with, and you go, "Oh yeah, blah blah blah." I I, I missed a penalty, or I, you know, with like Gareth Southgate and Stuart Pearce and. And Chris Waddle, the, that pizza advert, they took it out and they're remembered for those misses, but they're not remembered in in the, in the same kind of ways with the same anger. That it's kind of like, oh, that was a disappointing moment. Um, so, in terms of fans, it's difficult because a lot of fans are, are reactionary. Um, I think it's died down a little bit. I, I know with with the Lee Griffiths situation, it's very difficult up there you've got two very big rival clubs it's it's quite like no other in in britain to be honest um we were speaking the other day to aaron Connolly about what it's like and how they they act towards each other and particularly at this time when when Celtic have won the league but not finished all the games and uh, i think as fans we could probably well, i think we could certainly be better um, show your disappointment first of all, but I think you're going to go and hound someone. I think that would be a bit too far. I think social media has made that a little bit easier for for fans to just hide behind. Um, not don't particularly like it. Um, but I think players have they either stay on it or they come off. You know, there's a lot of players who aren't on social media, and you know, I absolutely think that's fine. Um, I think there's a, a big thing with social media where they think, oh, it's a brand, so I, I've got to be on there, but I don't think it always works. Um, no. But yeah, it, I mean, I, I kind of found that, that it harked back to when he was in school and, and dealing with the the, the racism that he, that he found in school and it, he kind of took it on board and, and, and kind of used it as a comedy thing that's kind of the way i found it and he used it kind of like a defense mechanism um so he you know you can tell like those learned experiences when he's been under a lot of pressure and he's been under a lot under a caution in tough environments have, have kind of guided him quite well um and i think he you know he's he's a a, a lovable guy 
people like him. No one's going to hate him in the game. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think he's dealt with it really well. Just one, you made a good point during the interview on this subject, which was he almost owned the joke. And I think as well, he touched on strong mother in his childhood and relationship with his parents. So same question to you, but I just want you to maybe tell the viewers what you were thinking when you made those comments as well. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's an important thing for a lot of people to remember, and 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 something that's that's a very useful tactic in terms of almost overcoming any sense of embarrassment about something. I mean, we'll all have uh, we'll all have been through them in, in in various guises, but I think own the joke. I think that's such a good piece of advice, and it does take it it does take some some you know mental fortitude to do it, but laugh at yourself. Take you know, be the person who's making a joke about yourself, and then it's very difficult for anyone to have any power over you, because you just kind of turn around and go, well, yeah, it was funny, I agree, and then they, and then it's done. You, you know what they're doing is trying to get a rise out of you, and they can't do it if you're the one making the joke. So I think that was really good sort of lesson to be learned from Chris. I think as well, one thing that I think um, I think that's great, which I hope that came across to people was. Chris is, um, I mean, just from doing the interview with him and doing the dealings, obviously speaking to him beforehand, speaking to him since then, he, he probably, and we've we've said a, a, quite a number of times about how great a lot of the people that we've been doing these interviews have been, you know, just met some really great people who've been so generous with their time and stuff. But probably even outside of the interviews, Chris might be one of the nicest, most friendliest you know, engaging people I think I've ever met. He was just so lovely. And during the interview, it was a pleasure. And it was one of those experiences that I came out of with a big smile on my face. And listening to it back was the same. I just remembered how much fun I had speaking to him. So to hear about how, I mean, just doing, you know, when we're, we're looking for the different clips and stuff of, of Chris to, to put together for, for part of the episode and stuff. And when you put Chris Ubalumo into YouTube, the first things to come up are his miss for Scotland. And it kind of pissed me off a little bit, to be honest, because I just thought, he's a guy who's had a great career, like a really, really varied and interesting, colourful career. And he's also a really top fella. And he seems from from the outside to be someone who's popular within the game as well, probably just because he is such a nice guy. And he's also alongside that, you know, he said he's got his, he's, he's been to university and got his degree and he's tried to better himself. He's gone to different countries to experience stuff over there, learnt a bit of the language. And for someone who's that round of the character and had such a great career for people to kind of remember him just for that miss, I think it kind of shows that sort of petty side of football that we can probably do without. I don't know really how you get rid of it. And Chris is probably at that point now where he's just not asked. And nor should he be, to be honest with you. He should just be proud of what he's achieved. But yeah, I thought that was that was one of those things really. But yeah, owning the joke, take control of it. It's yours then. Nobody else can use it against you because you're using it. So that was our episode with Chris Uelamo. I hope you enjoyed it. Dan, can you let everybody know where they can find us on social media? Yes. So you can find us on Twitter, at Marking underscore Man. Uh, don't forget to use the hashtag, Ways the Talking Lads. You can also find us on YouTube. Our YouTube channel is now up. We're dropping little snippets of each of the episodes on uh, on a Wednesday. So, yeah, find us on Twitter. Come and give us a message if you're enjoying it. Then message us, slide right in our DMs. We love to see you. Back to you, Ray. 
Also, this Friday, we've got another Not For Me Clive. And do you want to tell the viewers what that's going to be about? Yeah, so Friday, we're going to be looking at how much football is too much football. Um, we're going to have a little look into that. I think the three of us are probably football perverts, so we probably spent a lot of the time in the day watching every game possible. Um, so we're going to have a look if that's actually healthy. Um, isn't. Not the first time I've been called a pervert. Definitely the first time I've been called a football pervert, as you were. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys, and hopefully see you all on Friday. So, firstly, Chris, how often are people surprised that you're Scottish? Oh, let's just say very often. I had some Scottish people try and fight me on holiday because they thought I was taking the mickey out of their accent. At one point. <laughs> that, was, uh, that, was, that was when I was about oh, 20, 21, 22. Why, why, why are you putting on the accent? I was like, what? What, what nonsense is that? <laughs> yeah, I, I get a funny look every now and again, but uh, yeah, yeah, quite often. Chris is one half of some very successful big man, little man partnerships. Um, what is your favourite big man, little man partnership? Oof, what a bad, what a hard question that is. I've had some great partners, you know. Have I got to choose one, have I? Don't have to, but it'd be nice if you did. <laughs> uh, well, I've, I've had some great, uh, Jamie Curitan, that's, that speaks for itself. Me and Leon Knight, was 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 unbelievable. Uh, me, Chris Greenacre at Stoke. Oh, we love Chris Greenacre. He's a bit what, of a what, what a guy, by the way. What a just a man, all round guy. Uh, there was me, Sylvan Ebanks, Blake at Wolves. Oh, I tell you what, I've had, I've, I've been very lucky uh, and blessed with some of the partners that I've had. Can I just say, Chris, a lot of these players' careers took a downward spiral after stopping playing with you, it seems. A lot of good oh, one, yeah. one season wonders, so I think you need a lot of credit for that. Well, I've said that to Jamie Curity many times. I took a lot of hits. <laughs> I, I had him on Talk Sport on, uh, on Friday. He came on and we were reminiscing about some of the Colchester years, but I, I, threw, that, that, uh, I threw that at him. But, uh, yeah, he's... Uh, it's one of them, and it's uh, they they were great for me. But uh, I'd always I'd always take one for the team. Chris, do you prefer the uh, did you prefer the old school nineties baggy kits or the more modern tight fitted kits? Uh, I would say the the baggy kits. You know, I think uh, I I I did I did get involved with a couple of the the, the slim fit kits that that uh, that were probably. Left nothing to the imagination, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the old baggy ones for me definitely. Um, what's who's your favorite band, Chris? Favorite band, what a question that is. Um, I've got it's probably U2, I like U2, that's uh, Universal. My big brother was very big on his music, uh, but I remember U2 always playing, uh, so that's that, that's one that I've got on my uh, when I'm out running, I, I get them on when I'm out running as well, so no. yeah. Uh, favorite comedian? Favorite comedian? Oh, there's a few. Uh, I like Kevin Hart, Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy. Uh, I am also. Oh God. I like one of the American guys. I went. I went watch Peter K live. I thought it was. I thought hilarious. I had tears coming down my face. <laughs> uh, Trying to think who else is. There's a couple over here as well. Kevin Bridges. I like Kevin Daddy Bridges. went to see him about yeah. six months ago. Brilliant. brilliant. Absolute brilliant. Uh, and then obviously the the, the the one that will probably be most surprising is the 
I remember the, the, the I used to like Roy Chubby Brown as well. As ruth, <laughs> as ruthless as, as he got, it'd uh, uh, bring me a. He'd say some things that just completely ridiculous, but that's probably a, you can probably edit that one out. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that we talk about a lot as fans is uh, is celebrations when a goal goes in. Uh, yeah, they, they call it limbs nowadays on 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 Twitter. As a player, have you got a memory of of when? Like the best limbs that you've seen in in from fans, right? So I at at, Col- at Colchester at Lear Road, uh, me and Dandy used to get one of these one of the stands uh, uh, proper going, but we actually used to kind of go up and we actually used to jump in. So we used to jump in after the match, and the, <laughs> honestly, it was absolutely amazing. You'll have to ask Dandy about. A uh, bit of a strange one, this, but do you like the Friends series or do you think it's overrated? What camp are you in? Uh, I've, I've, it's always just kind of been on in the background for me. You know, it'd be one of those that you'd watch for 10 minutes and then go do something and then come back. And, you know, it's yeah, sad. It's, probably, watch, isn't it? it's, it's, it's easy to watch. So does that classic, does that say that it's overrated? You wouldn't, you wouldn't kind of put the, put the reminder on the phone and go and, <laughs> and, 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 and watch it. But, you know what I mean? So it probably is a little bit overrated, isn't it? Uh, and finally, Chris, we've spoken about him a few times. Um, but when you see Jamie Curriton still playing, you ever tempted to dust off the boots and join him? It's not, not. Let's just say it's not even possible. I've retired from charity football and everything. I remember, <laughs> I remember my, my my knees, my ankles, my back. I'm about. I got involved with uh, with the, the white collar boxing uh, for Stoke City. Uh, charity community trust the charity 30 year anniversary and uh I'm 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 weighing in at about 18 and a half stone now you know so I, I do my running and things I do my running probably about four times four times a week and I am in bits after it now I go out I, I go out in the road obviously we're in lockdown I'm still hitting good times but it's uh I, I then I've I just me and my me and my, we bought one of those uh lazy spa hot tubs I'm sitting in there just trying to recover from from doing the run. So, yeah, I'm about 18 and a half stone now. You know, a lot of it muscle, but it's it's just a killer. So when I started playing the charity games, I was pulling calves, and and I was even then, even then, like I'm I'm I go to the gym. I'm doing my my say my 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off uh, uh, sprints. Uh, I'm doing 30 sprints uh, at 22k, but it's just all straight running. As soon as you're twisting and turning. Oh, it's causing my knees and ankles all sorts of problems. So, yeah, I, I don't feel I don't feel envious towards uh, Jamie. I just wish that I'd probably kept playing as much as what I did when I retired, rather than just doing the kind of just training the gym work. You know what I mean? Because it's Absolutely. just not it's not possible for me anymore. We'll, we'll take we'll take that as a no, then, Chris. <laughs> it's definitely a no, mate. It's definitely a no. <laughs> not not so much for the podcast, Chris. But did you ever have an offer from Tramia? Uh, Tranmere, I, I have God, played against them. I'm just trying to think if they... Uh, you know what? When Tranmere, Stuart Taylor was very close to getting the, the manager's job at Tranmere and he wanted me to be his assistant manager. So Stuart Taylor, the goalkeeper? No, Stuart Taylor, he is now the assistant manager at Ipswich under Paul Amber. Oh, uh, I see. So he went for the job. So he was manager at Limerick. And uh, I remember it was it was one of those. Uh, so that was the closest that I've got for signing. Deep cross to the back post towards Coker. He heads it back towards his own goal. 
and Chris Iwaluno has scored for the visitors. They've hardly been in the match. Today, Iwaluno with a curling shot and a sensational debut goal from Chris Iwaluno. As you can see, a wonderful strike there from Chris Iwaluno. Ooh, 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 ooh